Okay, here we are. It's November 18th, right before Thanksgiving. We are back with Burlington on the Spot, and I think we have a pretty important podcast today. Today, we have Riley Holmes in here to talk about all of the Medicaid and Medicare changes that are coming up. Give us a little bit of a background on yourself, please. Yeah, so my name's Riley Holmes. Um, I've got a doctor of pharmacy that I got from the University of Colorado in 2019. Um, I did some I did a little bit for about a year before I came back to Burlington and started managing the pharmacy here. So um, I've been managing WB Drugs since about, since March 2020. And in that time, I've, I've kind of found that, especially in, in this rural area where we've got a pretty hefty Medicare population, there's so much uneducation on the way that these plan structures work and a lot of people are always asking me, why are my copays so high? Why are my copays always changing? Why can't I get my prescription filled here? Why do I have to go through mail order? Um, things like that. And so it's, it's really been on my heart for the last couple of years to really put something together to help the community here understand what's shifting in, the, in, that, in those plans, help them kind of get what's going on. Gotcha. That's awesome here. We'll put this a little bit closer to you. Um, is it just rural though, or is that something like, I mean, is it everywhere where people are asking that question? I mean, obviously I'm not at that age group, but I mean, I would imagine it's got to, does it change every year and are people trying to figure this out everywhere? Well, yeah. I mean, I think that's probably the case. Um, I've not practiced a lot in some of the urban areas, but as far as some of these, these Medicare changes that occur throughout the year, as we move through different phases of these plans, um, that's pretty consistent among all Medicare plans. I think we see a little bit more out here in the way of availability because, you know, we're the only pharmacy for at least 30 miles. And so when you've got somebody whose plan is pushing them toward mail order and we see extended delivery times, that's where we really start to see some of the rural-oriented struggles. But um, by and large, most of this presentation that I've put together really speaks to all Medicare plans. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. And I guess a little context too. I mean, it's been on your heart and you actually, I think about a week ago, maybe two weeks ago, you had the opportunity to go present live, right? To about yeah. 15 or 20 people. And so you, you had a, basically a seminar or a class, right? To kind of talk about what we're covering today. Yeah. Um, we, get, we hooked up with uh, the public health department here in town and um, we put together a little presentation at the community center, had some coffee and donuts and it turned out really well. Good. Okay, well, awesome. Well, I guess let's just jump in and, and I'll ask questions. Again, I don't know anything about this, so maybe that's good, <laughs> right? But I mean, I know it's going to concern my mom's going to want to watch this, yeah. I mean, my in-laws. I mean, anyone that has parents or grandparents that are of this age, it's probably important. So thanks again for doing this. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, here we go. This is just kind of Medicare in a nutshell with a focus on Part D. But to kind of get started, I want to remind everybody what the main parts of Medicare consist of. And so um, when you turn 65 and you enroll in Medicare, you get your red, white, and blue card. And that card consists of coverage under Parts A and Part B. Um, Part A is inpatient coverage. That's the portion that's going to kick in for hospital stays, um, extended situations. And then Part B covers outpatient um, coverage. 
And so that's typically your follow-up visits at the doctor. Um, if you have to go in and get some kind of specialized injection, uh, most, most of those follow-ups that don't consist of staying overnight. And then, of course, we've got Part D, which is the focus of our conversation today. And Part D is an optional add-on to Medicare A and B, uh, and that is the prescription drug benefit. So you might kind of think about it as D for drugs. Part D um, is, the, is the separate card that you're taking into the pharmacy to get your prescriptions covered. Uh, there are some additional parts of Medicare that are optional. Um, we see some Advantage plans. These are kind of colloquially known as Part C. I generally advise against any Advantage plans out here just because they're pretty selective in their networks. And a lot of those network options, those add-ons, are typically only available in the urban areas. And so a lot of our Medicare patients out here wouldn't get much use from, from those, those plans. Good. Um, and then we've also got supplements. I see a lot of confusion when it comes to supplements because I've got quite a few Medicare patients who do have the supplements. Yep. And they'll bring me those cards. But they're typically just add-ons that help with deductibles, co-insurance, co-payments um, that aren't picked up by A and B. And so they don't really pertain to uh, any pharmacy operations. And in fact, if you've gotten a new plan since about 2006, they haven't issued any supplement plans that have drug coverage. Gotcha. I think my mom has a supplement plan, but she's up in Littleton. Yeah. Yeah. So changing Part D plans is something that every once in a while I hear a lot of interest about, uh, that the enrollment period to do that, the enrollment period that allows you to change plans only comes around once a year. Okay. And so we're currently in that open enrollment period right now. That period runs from October 15th to December 7th every year. And during that period, you can pick a new drug plan that will take effect January, January 1st of the following year. Uh, and then there are some different special enrollment parameters that would allow you to change a plan outside of that time frame. Uh, if you qualify for Medicaid or extra help, you can change your, your drug plan. There are, I think, four different periods throughout the year. And then if you move outside of your drug plan's coverage area to a new area, um, say you move to Burlington from Texas and... <clears throat> there's not a pharmacy nearby that's in your plans network, then they would allow you to change your plan. Out of necessity based on a, a location move. Right, right. So if you, if you're somebody that's 64 and you just turned 65 this year, mm -hmm. do you have to go and enroll in this or what happens if you don't enroll? Are you automatically enrolled or? That's, I don't think that's the case. Um, in order to enroll for a part D plan, I think you have to have gone through all of the steps to get part A and part B. And then uh, there's a, a seven-month window, I believe, in which to enroll in Parts A and B and then D. And okay. I think that's three months prior to your 65th birthday. Okay. And then the month that consists of your birthday, and then the three months following, you, you've got that time frame to kind of get everything put together. So if somebody's watching this, they just need to realize that, hey, I need to reach out or go to a resource and try and can they come down to the pharmacy and talk to you guys or how does that work? Well, there are actually laws in place that don't allow pharmacies to select plans for patients, especially, I mean, obviously drug yeah. plans because of non-compete. Right. Or conflict of interest. I totally get right. that. But is there information they could get? You guys steer them in the right direction or what's their best place to go? Generally, I direct them to the public health office. Okay, perfect. Public health office. Medicare.gov. Most of, most of the information that's involved in my, in my PowerPoint today 
is information that I've pulled straight off of Medicare.gov. Perfect. And so it's not always easy to maneuver, but um, all of that information is available there. Okay, good. So for most of you listening today, or at least a good a good portion of you, you probably already have a Part D plan. And and uh, all the time, we, uh, we're in the pharmacy and we're, we're using words that we're familiar with because these are the words that we run into all the time. And uh, I'm... A lot of times I'm met with just a blank expression, like, what does that mean? So, so let's go through some yeah, like, give me Troy. a couple definitions. Yeah, what, what do these words mean? So we'll start with deductible. Um, most everybody's pretty familiar with the concept of a deductible because of different types of insurance that have been held sure. throughout, throughout life. The deductible on your Part D plan is the amount that you have to pay before the plan picks up any coverage. Okay. And so those values this year, the deductible is $480. Next year, that deductible is going to rise to 505 And like I say, the, the enrollee is responsible for 100% of that cost, whatever the cost of that drug is, and the plan doesn't pick up any portion of that. And this term drug cost, you'll see it throughout, um, throughout the presentation. Drug cost, when I refer to it as such, is a standardized figure typically negotiated by the drug plan, not Medicare, but the plan. Okay. Because these Part D plans are private policies. Um, and so that that plan, that organization is, is negotiating these prices. And these figures are determined by the plan and not by the pharmacy. And then is that like locally, right? So it sounds like this isn't universal that everyone has the same provider for Part D nationwide. I mean, it changes based on where you are. Right. Okay. There are three companies that hold, I think it's um, 70% of the Part D um, capacity. Sure. And those are CVS Caremark, uh, Express Scripts, and OptumRx. So seven times out of 10, the plans that I deal with are Optum, CVS, or Express Scripts. Gotcha. Then we, we see a lot of people around here have Humana plans. Humana would be another one. Um, and those, those organizations are the ones that are t- determining what the drug cost is and not me. Gotcha. What that means is sometimes we're underpaid. We pay less than um, our acquisition of the drug, which is an entirely different conversation. Yeah, that, that can't be good. <laughs> <laughs> so deductible, that's the d- deductible. Next on the agenda is formulary. The formulary is the list of drugs on your plan that are covered. This is the case among all insurance drug plans. Um, you can think of it as a restaurant menu. This is, this is the options that you have to select from. And so um, this includes at least two drugs from the most commonly prescribed drug classes. And so these would be uh, most classes of diabetes drugs, most classes of high blood pressure drugs, anti-cholesterol uh, agents. Those are the big ones that we really see around here. And what these formularies do is allow for variation. And so they allow at least two options, obviously, because if you're allergic to one drug or sure. some other reason you can't take it, there, there's something else that's available. And these these uh, these formularies are implemented by the plans that kind of help theoretically keep drug costs low. Because of competition, I guess, or having right. multiple choices. Right. Gotcha. And so what they do is they, they use different cost-benefit analyses. Um, they weigh the cost of the drug on a wholesale basis versus how well the drug performed in clinical trials and what it's looked like since it's been released to the market. Okay. And so we're looking at efficacy data, how well this is working for that particular disease state versus how much it's going to cost the patient and the plan and Medicare. 
Okay. And so um, that's that's how they how they build these formularies. Uh, we run into issue a lot of times when formularies change, and so these formularies can change at any time throughout the year. We usually see this if a generic product is approved for a, a brand name drug, you might see the formulary change. If a drug is found to be unsafe or another product is found to be more effective, the formulary may change. If the price of one product increases dramatically or it's not available any longer, then we might see the formulary change. Um, almost in every case, if your plan is going to change your formulary on you, mm-hmm. they've got to notify you 30 days in advance. Um, unless it's a safety issue or you're taking a brand name drug that's had a generic just hit the market. Is that something that common is that's it commonly happens then where you're seeing that? Or? Uh, safety, safety is not always. Or even just the formulary changes. Oh yeah. I see formulary changes all the time. Somebody will be 10 years on one drug and all of a sudden their formulary is shifted and they're not, they're not able to take this drug anymore. Does that cause problems or oh, anxiety? Yes. And that's, is that something where they're reaching out and they don't understand why? Yeah. And hopefully this kind of explains a little bit why. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Gotcha. I, I hear that all the time. I've been taking this drug for 10 years. I've been taking this drug for 30 years. I, my doctor wrote this prescription. Why can't I, why can't I get it? And it's, it's generally because of the restrictions and the, and the changes that are put in place by these plans. Gotcha. So next, and this is, this is where I see some of the most common misconceptions. Uh, that's the term covered. A lot of times, you know, I'll, I'll print a label and I've got a copay at the pharmacy that's $75, $100. And I'll hear somebody say, well, no, that can't be right because my plan told me this is covered. And so there's a lot of misconceptions pertaining to what, what this word means. And it, I think that's because it's so intuitive in definition when its actual definition is so much, is so much different. And so when, we, when, when a plan tells you that your drug is covered, that means that it exists on the formulary. That doesn't mean doctor writes a script oh. and you get it right now. I'm glad you're clarifying that. That's, yeah. that's a big key point then. Right. So there's a pathway to approval in order to get this drug approved that exists on the formulary. But that doesn't mean that the first try we're going to get it to go. Um, it doesn't mean that there's no cost when you check out. It doesn't mean that the cost is going to be the same as your other prescriptions. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have to get a prior authorization. And so a lot of times we see that people people don't always, um, not always sure what that word means. And I, I, I see confusion pertaining to that pretty often. I bet because I could see how they could misconstrue that and think covered just means, hey, it's, it's, it cost is covered, right. and it, not right. that the formulary is covered. Right. Okay. I see that a lot with shingles vaccines because especially in the last few years, I've seen a lot of um, uptick and in interest in getting, the, getting vaccinated for the shingles. And the plans advertise shingles vaccines covered, and they come in and they've got $190 payment responsibility on that day. And it's like, what like the hey, heck? it was covered. It was covered, right. And then you, that, that leaves it to you or other pharmacists to explain that then, right? Right. And so yeah, that's tough. Yeah, if we're still working toward a deductible, yeah, it's covered. But you're paying full cost of that drug and it's going towards your deductible. And then let's say the deductible's met. So does that mean then they still might have out-of-pocket costs? Yeah. Potentially, right? It's yep. not just 100% covered. Covered doesn't mean covered. Right. And we'll, okay. we'll get into the, the phasing throughout the year okay. in a few slides. Okay. Uh, I've got one more definition, I believe, and that is pr- 
prior authorization. And so prior authorization, these are two of the most dreaded words in the pharmacy for both patients and pharmacies. Um, mutual head slap, mutual groan. We're all, we all hate prior authorizations. Um, when we see that a drug requires a prior authorization, that means that it's on the formulary. There's a pathway to get it approved. But essentially the prescriber and only the prescriber must demonstrate medical necessity. And so um, sometimes what that means is we've got to try something else first and fail that drug. It's either got to be unsafe or ineffective for the okay. condition we're trying to treat. Um, we might have to meet certain diagnosis criterias. And so that would include, you know, there's a lot of diabetes drugs that are also effective in weight loss. A lot of the plans see weight loss as a cosmetic issue and not a medical necessity. And mm. so unless we've got a diagnosis of diabetes established by the provider, the plan's not going to pick up that drug. Uh, a lot of a lot of drugs are subject to various limitations, and I wanted to throw Prilosec in here because it's a very common drug that I dispense. Um, Prilosec is also known as omeprazole, mm -hmm. and it's a drug that we use for acid reflux. Right. Unfortunately, it also hinders the the body's ability to absorb calcium, and so when we're looking at a Medicare population, especially our ladies who are at higher risk for Calcium deficiencies. Calcium deficiencies, yeah. osteoporosis. Um, we start to see a lot of limitations on this class of drugs in particular. And so where a provider might write this drug twice a day, the plan will say, hey, no, that's not going to work. We're only going to let you have it once a day because it's not. It's got alternative health effects mm. that are important for this population. And so for anybody listening... Um, if you take any of these drugs that reduce stomach acid, it's it's probably also important to supplement your diet with calcium and vitamin D. Mm. So now when people come in, do they understand this isn't you or a pharmacist? Do they know that it's not you guys doing that? Or, or do you have to tell every single one, hey, it doesn't have anything to do with me? I think, I think by and large, um, they do. Good. Obviously, it's not, it's not in our best interest to reduce the amount the drugs that we're selling. Right? right. But, um, I think a lot of times we just see the frustration come out and we're there. And mm -hmm. so we're, we're gotcha. a pretty easy scapegoat. And that, you know, that's totally understandable because we've right. all been in that situation where right. we're just frustrated at the situation before. And so, um, I want to reiterate and I want to just really stress that these must be completed by the prescriber. And so a lot of times I get questions like, well, how long is that going to take? When's that, when's that going to work? And the simple answer is, I don't know. We typically tend toward 72 hours, okay. um, but uh, there's no guarantee, one, that the drug's even going to be approved pending the prior authorization. The nursing staff at the clinics, and especially in our rural clinics, are pretty bogged down with other things. And so um, it's, a, it's a little bit of a it's a bit of a process, and a lot of times it's just more efficient to find an alternative drug. Gotcha. Oh, I had one more definition, and that's tier. Um, tier is not, it's not a term that we, we typically speak in common language, neither in, uh, in the pharmacy nor in, out in the world. Right. But tiering is a reference to your drug formulary's ranking of preferred drugs. And so a lower tier typically constitutes a lower copay. 
And so most of our drug plans have four tiers. Um, tier one is those, those four, those $5 generics that we get. They've been around forever. They're cheap. They're well-studied. Not really a lot of concern there. We, we typically see the plans cover those at, at pretty affordable prices. Tier two is where we see our preferred brand name drugs and our non-preferred generics. And so um, a lot of times these will be the newer drugs, the newer generics, or the older brand names that are more studied, uh, pretty heavily leaned upon by the medical community. And then in Tier 3, we've got our non-preferred brand name drugs. These are newer drugs yet. Uh, maybe they don't have as, as good uh, data as some of the other drugs that we, we see with more hmm. volume. Um, they're going to they're gonna come with a higher price tag at the pharmacy window. And then we've got Tier 4 and specialty drugs, and these are very high-cost drugs. These are our hepatitis cures and some of those um, super expensive cancer drugs. A lot of times we, we talked about um, the plans. The plans also own pharmacies, and a lot of times they own specialty pharmacies. Mm-hmm. And so in most cases, in my setting, I don't see these drugs gotcha. because they're coming from specialty pharmacies that can... And is that male? Yeah. Okay. It can be male. Um, there are, in, in more populated areas, there are a lot of specialty pharmacies that really just deal in these expensive drugs. Now, is this something that anyone would ever see? Like, commonly, is that, like, marked somewhere? I don't recall, you know, in the medications I've ever taken, seeing a tier. I mean, that's, it's not going to say, like, tier one or anything. You just know that this is... By and large, you just know. Um, I'm not sure that, that these are very well advertised by the plans, and I think that it's they don't really have a vehicle in which to advertise their tiers, but it's not. It's also uh, some of these things operate secretly, and so. But it looks like it is. You're going to touch on this later. Why it's important to right. understand this? Okay, right. right. So yeah, um, we really see the, the impact of tiering when we're in that initial coverage phase, and that's that's coming up here. My next slide. I pulled this off of the Colorado Medicaid website, and this is just. Uh, an example of a formulary. This is the only public formulary that I'm aware of. And so here we've got a class of drugs that is used to treat diabetes. And so some of our viewers in Kit Carson County, our listeners in Kit Carson County, might be familiar with some of these drugs. Um, In the top of the left-hand corner, there's an asterisk statement there that says we must meet eligibility criteria. These drugs are typically more expensive drugs, and we see a lot of times this is a prime example of when we would need to try and fail another class of drugs before we're able to get any of these approved. Mm. And so from that point in the left-hand column, we've got the preferred drugs within that class, and then we've got in the middle column the non-preferred drugs. These are the ones that would require that prior authorization. And then in the right-hand column, we've got... um, We've got the criteria that are required in order for somebody to get an approved claim on these drugs. And we've also got the limitations. Um, that list goes on here, but um, the limitations that the plan imposes upon using these drugs. And so these would be like max daily doses. Gotcha. So that kind of takes me into <laughs> uh, a new, a new, a new phase of the presentation. I, I hear this. I, I mentioned this earlier. I still don't understand why my copays are always different. Why are things always changing? I didn't pay this much last time. Um, 
And yeah, and we were laughing because if you're just listening to this, like on iTunes or Spotify, it, basically there's a slide that says, that's nice, Riley, but I still don't understand why my copays are always different. Yeah, and that's, you know, I... I can't, I can't stress enough how often I hear this. This isn't what I paid last time. This is more expensive than it was last month. What the heck is going on? And so that's, that's where we kind of really get into the meat of the Part D plans. Okay. These, there are four phases that exist throughout the year. And they all have their own cost thresholds. And so um, we move through these phases categorically from one to the next based on the amount of money that is spent on drugs. And so the four phases of a Medicare Part D plan are the deductible phase, the initial coverage phase, the coverage gap phase, which is also known as the donut hole, and the catastrophic coverage phase. So we touched already on the deductible phase. The deductible phase begins January 1st every year. And in the deductible phase, the patient pays 100% of calculated drug cost until the deductible is met. And so we can visualize this cost breakdown as a pretty simple formula where C is the total negotiated cost of the drug, which is the copay plus the amount that is applied to the deductible. Figure A is the copay, which is determined by the formulary tier. Uh, you don't actually see what this figure is until the deductible is met. And so for all intents and purposes, the cost of the drug is the primary focus until the deductible is met. Gotcha. And then figure B is the difference between the formulary copay and the cost of the drug, which is the amount that's applied to the annual deductible. And so in 2022, the Part D deductible was $480. Going into 2023, we're going to see that figure rise to $505. Once we meet that deductible, we move into the initial coverage phase. And so it's kind of counterintuitive to think that the initial coverage phase is actually the second phase of the plan. Gotcha. But this phase begins immediately after the deductible is met. Um, and the, only, the patient's only payment responsibility is that copay that's determined by formulary placements. And so... The threshold, the cost threshold of this phase that must be met to move on is it consists of the total amount paid to the pharmacy. And so this would be what the enrollee is paid at the register, as well as what the plan is reimbursed the pharmacy in the back end. Okay. And so this is a cost and the patient doesn't see the full cost. But in 2022, this figure looks like $4,430 total paid. In 2023, this figure is increasing to $4,660. So, oh, and you know, I mean, I'm sure people are watching this, you know, and they're going to have questions. So that 4660, that's, break that number down for me really quick. So that's the 505 that you've met, right, for the deduct deductible? Yes. Okay. Plus, and then, yeah, so if we've got, say we've got, a drug that is negotiated at $100. Mm -hmm. The copay is maybe 47 And so that means the plan is paying 53 Gotcha. And so um, that's, that's going to be the total amount paid on that one prescription is going to be $100. 
And so that's $100 that's going to this figure here. Gotcha. And then gotcha. we've got the deductible that's already been met. That's going to be 480 505 next year. And so these this total figure that the plan plus the enrollee pay all add up to meet this threshold, which throws us into the donut hole. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. <clears throat> so if a prior authorization is a fly buzzing in your ear, then the donut hole is a whole swarm of murder hornets. Okay. If there are two words that we hate more than prior authorization, it is donut hole. Okay. These are the two most dreaded words in the pharmacy. And at this phase in the year, the patient's cost-sharing responsibility is 25% of the calculated drug cost. And so this doesn't sound like a whole lot until you see your payment responsibility for a 90-day supply of brand-name COPD inhalers or blood thinners or diabetes drugs. And we're looking at $400, $500 payment responsibility for that 90-day supply. That's when, that's when start, things start to get a little bit stressful. Now, now how much is the person going to be responsible for if they've met the whole deductible, right? So, I mean, you've, you've met your 505 deductible under your coverage plan, D. You're still going to keep paying, though, in, into the next phase, right. into the next phase. Okay. And, and is that where I, the ambiguity is coming? People yes. think that when they hit that, and I get it, man, because, like, I, I haven't heard this, so I'm asking you these genuine questions. Like, it is a bit confusing. I right. Because you think, like, on your car insurance – Right. When, mm -hmm. if, if I have a $500 deductible, once I hit that, then I think, you know, typically the insurance will cover the rest of it. Right. And then, you know, you're done. Yeah, but on it, this, it's these phases, right? Is right. that what we're trying to get across? Right. That it's right. not just done when you get that initial deductible. That's only phase one. Right. And that's, that's the thing too, is that the deduct, the deductible is just kind of foreshadowing to the coverage gap, to the donut hole. Because especially when we've got somebody who's taken some of those higher priced drugs, sure, one month of one of those drugs at four hundred and eighty dollars, five hundred dollars, we see those prices with some of these bigger name inhalers, mm -hmm. uh, which I have a lot of patients that use. They get that one time and they meet that deductible. Yeah, and, and then, then they might think I'm done, but you're right. not because smooth sailing after that forty seven dollar copay for the next two, three, four months, and then what I'll see is then we're responsible for 25% of that drug. And so we're not paying 100% at $480. Once you get to that 4460 or whatever, then you mm -hmm. hit the donut hole phase mm -hmm. three, and then it changes on you. Right. And then we're paying $120, $130 for a 30-day supply of something that's... Now, has, has this been this way for a while then? Or? Yeah. Uh, this, is, this is the... Since I've been in pharmacy, this has been the structure. And it's... Unless you're in it all the time. No, man. I mean, to totally. I totally understand why you wanted to do, to do this now. Like light bulbs just went right. off. And if you, somebody isn't explaining this, like it would make no sense and you wouldn't understand. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And it doesn't, it doesn't make a lot of sense to the average layperson. And I'm sure that when they established these laws, there was, there was good reason for it. And a lot of debate that took place that maybe established that this was a good idea. But um, when I, when I've got, Patients in rural communities that are looking at $125 a month, that's difficult. And the donut hole lasts for a while okay. where the deductible, like I said earlier, may just, we might get one month of one prescription, meet that whole deductible at once. Um, the donut hole has a higher out-of-pocket threshold 
than the deductible. And so we might see somebody stuck in the donut hole from July to December where they've got to pay one to $200 a month for one month of one drug. Well, yeah, because, I mean, it looks like once you hit that 40, whatever the number was, the 4,600, then you've got like three 3,000 maybe in 2023 that you're going to have to pay that 25% till you reach the total paid. Yeah, I mean, that could last for a, a while. Right. And so this phase, the, the donut hole lasts until this year. Total out-of-pocket expenditures exceed $7,050. And so that would include the $480 deductible. And then, excuse me, maybe three or four months of a couple $47 a month copays. But all mm-hmm. of a sudden, um, we're, we're in the donut hole and, and we've got to meet an out-of-pocket threshold $7,050 this year, $7,400 next year, which typically equivalates to $10,690 this year. $11,206 next year that both the patient and the plan have paid total. Gotcha. And so these, yeah, these figures are steep and um, that's why, that's why this term is so almost taboo in the pharmacy. It's, it's like murder it's so hornets. Dreaded, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because it's, it's, it can be catastrophic for a lot of people. And so once we've met those total out of pocket thresholds, we move into the catastrophic, catastrophic coverage phase. And this is the final phase of the year. Once somebody lands in the catastrophic phase, they're there until December 31st. And at the point at which we land in the catastrophic coverage phase, the payment responsibility shifts from 20% to 5% on the patient's end. And from there, we see 15% is is paid by the plan, 80% is paid by Medicare. Or was was it at 25%? On the previous one? Was it at 20? Yeah, it was at 25. Gotcha. Okay. Right. right. Thank so you. then basically you've got that five and they're covering the 20 when you're in the catastrophic. Okay. Right. right. Now I'm paying attention, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. And so just to kind of break this down, I pulled an image uh, and this shows a visual of those those price phases. Um, and we see that most of, most of those phases are increasing in in expenditure value going into next year, which isn't optimal, of course. But this kind of breaks down what the patient's responsibility is and what the plans and Medicare and the manufacturers are paying. And I think what I really want to take away from this slide is that we talked about how much people are paying in the donut hole. Mm -hmm. But when you really look at this figure, it's just a sliver of the amount of money that's changing hands mm-hmm. in in the healthcare arena. And so that was that, my next question. <laughs> nope, seriously, I was going to say, but I was going to wait. What if I can't afford my drugs? There are a few options, although they're somewhat limited. Um, obviously, the big one is dual eligibility. And so you've got Medicare, based on your assets, you can still qualify for Medicaid if you're on Medicare, um, based on your your retirement income, your asset value, uh, and that's all done through social services, through the public health office. And what happens then is Medicaid picks up all all of these um, phasing structures apply to Medicaid or Medicare, just as they did before, and then Medicaid helps pick up the difference. 
And so that's pretty similar to what the Extra Help program does. Extra Help is a social security program that offers assistance with deductibles, premiums, co-pays, and qualification is also based on asset value. Uh, that asset value does not include your primary residence. And so it's a little bit less restrictive than Medicaid eligibility, and thereby it doesn't provide as much assistance. Another option that I really never see, and I'm not entirely sure how this process works, but I've seen people who had a drug that they had to take that wasn't on their formulary. And so if you have a pretty proactive provider that can work with you to file an appeal to your plan, there are instances in which you can appeal for a formulary replacement hmm. of a certain drug. And what that might do is take a drug that's non-formulary and add it to the formulary. And I believe that you can also get a drug re-tiered. And so if you're looking at a tier 3 non-preferred brand name, but you can't afford it at tier 3, and you can't take anything else, then you can work with your provider to, I believe, re-tier that to tier 2 and make it a little bit more affordable on a monthly basis. Interesting. Yeah. Um, 340B is another program that we don't hear too much about, and this exists under a separate law that's uh, separate from Medicare, but it's essentially a government-mandated discount from the manufacturers that's provided to certain qualified um, federally recognized healthcare institutions. And so in Kit Carson County, we've got 340B available as a program through our hospital, and it typically exists as an option for people who are not insured. Mm. And so if you've got Medicare coverage, and especially if you've got Medicaid coverage, then you wouldn't be eligible for this program. But I've seen a lot of a lot of success um, helping people afford their medications through this program, and especially if those are Medicare patients who have opted for the no Part D route. Mm. And typically, would that be somebody under the age of sixty-five? Then, generally, unless yeah. unless I've got a patient, I've got a few patients that utilize the three hundred and forty B platform who are of Medicare age, and they just either decided not to go the Part D route or they couldn't afford the premium for Part D. Gotcha. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Um, I wanted to make, make a mention of drug coupons. Drug coupons are huge. I'm not sure how well drug coupons are utilized on a broad scale system, but I love, I love drug coupons, and I'm going to touch on, on drug coupons later on. So at this point... You know, we're looking at this like, what is this? This is this is broken. This doesn't make any sense. Is this ever going to get any better, right? <laughs> so, See the answer. <laughs> <laughs> the answer actually is yes. Um, through the Inflation Reduction Act that was just passed in the last few months, we will see some beneficial changes for our seniors that are going to be they're going to be systematically implemented from now to 2025. And so what we're going to see in 2023 is a federal insulin cap um, that's mandated by the government to the Part D plans. And so this would apply to any 30-day supply of insulin. Mm. The cost can't exceed $35 a month. And they can't tack a, tack, um, excuse me, they can't tack a deductible figure onto this $35. And so I've seen that when various laws were passed that were passed with the effort to reduce p 
patient responsibility on different drugs. We had a hundred dollar insulin cap actually passed in Colorado a couple of years ago. And the Part D plans would come in and say, okay, well, here's a hundred dollar copay, but you've still got a and $400 deductible. And they would add that to the copay. And then we'd see that people were still walking out the door paying $400 for a box of insulin. So just a way to kind of re- repackage it. Right. Gotcha. Right. So they can't, they can't do this anymore. Effective in 2023, um, the plans cannot charge more than $35 a month for a month's worth of insulin. Hmm. They can restrict how many months you can get at a time, but $35 a month insulin 2023 under Medicare Part D. And I think that's pretty exciting for a lot of our diabetic seniors. Was it capped now at any, I mean, prior to this act? Not federally. Okay. It was not capped federally. Like I said, we've so got state, a, like right, I got you. Right, right. Um, another change that's coming next year is in enhanced vaccine access. And so um, Medicare, the Inflation Reduction Act is mandating no copay on some of the ACIP recommended vaccines. And so I talked a little bit about shingles earlier, mm-hmm. where I've got an increased uh, interest in, in the shingles vaccine among my senior citizens at the pharmacy. And it's covered, but we've got a deductible to meet that's $190 per poke. And that's a two-shot series. So to get fully vaccinated for shingles in the deductible phase of a Medicare Part D plan, that's costing $380. And what we're going to And then they're see, paying $190 right now of that? or Well, it's, it's two shots over the course of two to six months. Okay. And so $190 a pop. Gotcha. Yeah. Oh, okay. I gotcha. Right. And so, you know, if, if I've got somebody who takes four generic prescriptions at $5 a month and they never meet their deductible, then that's a shock. Yeah. $190 now. To get those two. $190 yeah. in three months. Gotcha. And so what we're going to see is zero copay on those um, recommended vaccines for our seniors going into 2023, and that's pretty exciting. And the uh, deductible exclusion applies to these vaccines as it does with insulin. Is it just those three shingles, uh, tetanus, diphtheria, whooping cough? Four, I should say, or three? I'm not entirely sure. Okay. Because I know that these are these are the ones that they advertise on the Medicare.gov website, the ones that would be most prominent. Um, flu is going to come up as as a question, I'm sure. And the flu vaccine is is a little bit different because a Part D plan can opt not to cover a flu shot. Because it's an outpatient service. Okay. And I'm not sure what the specifics are that dichotomize the drug vaccines versus the Part B vaccines. Hmm. But uh, I think it's probably because flu shots are traditionally given in the doctor's office. And so in my case, I don't have the billing platform in place through which to bill Part B for a flu vaccine okay. under a Medicare patient. Uh, and so... Your billing is all Part D. Right. Gotcha. Right. So then in 2024, we're going to see an elimination of the catastrophic coverage phase. And I want to make sure that nobody's confused. This is not an elimination of the donut hole. We're still going to have that $7,000 out-of-pocket threshold before we move into what would have been catastrophic coverage. But now, once the out-of-pocket threshold is met, there's no more copay. So there's no more 5%. Right. There is no more cost-sharing We've, we've met our out-of-pocket. We've paid our dues. 
which, you know, it'd be easy to be like, oh, you know, that's, that's not getting rid of the donut hole. But if you're at, and this is just me thinking off the top of my head, but if you're at stage four of the catastrophic, you're probably taking some pretty serious drugs. Right. And that right. 5% actually right. might, you know, translate to quite a bit of savings. Absolutely. If you've got a plan in place and you're consistently making it to the catastrophic coverage phase every year, you're, you're shelling out a lot of money for your yeah. prescriptions. You've got... Even uh, that 5% is probably going right. to be a savings. And okay. Absolutely. Cool. What we're also going to see next, or not next year, in 2024, is an expansion of that extra help program that we talked about earlier. And essentially, this is just going to be a flat inclusion criteria that is available to people with limited resources who earn less than 150% of the federal poverty level. And so uh, I don't have explicit figures on that to give you today, and I'm sure that those values shift sure. between now and 2020. Yeah, they will for sure. Yep. But um, we're going we're gonna to see a lot of uh, availability of extra assistance for people who aren't able to afford their prescriptions. And finally, the, the big change, this is, uh, this is pretty substantial coming in 2025. We're going to see an out-of-pocket cap. And so this will apply to the donut hole. Mm. And what's going to happen in 2025 is that there will be a $2,000 cap on all Part D plans. Wow. And so where the out-of-pocket cap, which took us into the catastrophic coverage phase, in which we still had to pay, we still had to share the cost of the drugs with our plan, that out-of-pocket cap was $7,050 this year. Mm -hmm. We're going to see that go down to $2,000 in 2025. And so um, I think that's the biggest win of all for Now, for is, are these last two slides, the changes, part of the uh, Inflation Reduction Act? Yes. Okay. Yes. Most of, most, if not all of these plans are taking effect under the Inflation Reduction Act. And so um, I believe that these, these values will be indexed for inflation as they, as they take effect and kind of evolve into the, into the coming years and decades. The other thing that comes along with that change in 2025 is that if you've got a $500 drug and your payment responsibility is, say, $125, Rather than having to pay that all at once at the, at the pharmacy, you can project that you're probably going to meet your out-of-pocket threshold, should that be the case, and you can pay that in monthly installments. And so it, it doesn't have to come in big chunks. So it's not such a big shock right. if it's one of those big ones. Right. And so if you're somebody who's diabetic or who has COPD, those are I use those as examples because they're some of my more common disease states mm -hmm. where I'm seeing buku dollars shelled out. Yep. Uh, in those cases... If you know that you're going to meet that out-of-pocket threshold, if you know that your expenditures are going to exceed $2,000 a month, or a year, excuse me, then you can you can pay that to the plan over a 12-month period, and that makes it a little bit easier. Gotcha. And so those are, those are the changes that are coming. Um, I'm sure that they're not... I'm sure we'll see more changes to Medicare as the, as the years progress and as um, representatives shift and evolve. Yeah, I mean, you can only control what you can control. Right. And then get the information out there. Right. Um, my hope is that nothing changes in these in these uh, legislations between now and then, but that's always a possibility, unfortunately. And so to kind of close, there were a couple last-minute things that I really wanted to touch on that I think really apply to 
a lot of my patients. Coupons. I mentioned coupons earlier, and I think coupons are an excellent means of cost savings at the pharmacy counter. But unfortunately, and I have people ask me all the time, when they're, well, especially when they're in the donut hole, can I use a coupon to get this figure down? And the answer is no. And that's because of federal anti-kickback laws that exist. And essentially what Medicare has said is that if, if a drug manufacturer is incentivizing somebody to use their product, then they're incentivizing Medicare to use that product. And what that does is gets the government involved in the private sector, which violates federal anti-kickback laws. And so the government, as an extension of the patient, would be benefiting in the cost savings of those coupons, which is unfair play, Mm -hmm. in essence. Hence why they have to make it on a wide scale. Right. It has to be a systemic change, not... Right. Gotcha. Right. And I wanted to touch briefly also on pharmacy benefit managers. So while pharmacists spanning history have kind of encouraged patients to take their prescriptions consistently as prescribed, they now have an added reason for encouraging this practice. And this is due to some laws that took effect over 10 years ago. Um, These laws have existed that allow Part D plans to recoup reimbursements from the pharmacy if a patient falls below a certain adherence threshold. And so if I've got somebody who's on a Part D plan and I know they're not taking their drugs appropriately because I've got big gaps in between those 30-day fills, mm-hmm. I'm concerned. Right. I mean, I'm not, I'm not concerned strictly from a financial level, but I'm concerned because they're not taking their drugs appropriately and their health is probably therefore suffering. Sure. But now... There's financial incentive that, in my opinion, has been unfairly burdened on pharmacies. And it allows these plans to essentially claw back what they've paid the pharmacies over time if these patients aren't meeting certain adherence thresholds. And so in most cases, that's, that's a 70-80% adherence threshold, which is no more than three, four days in between fills. And so the plan is monitoring refills in my point of sale system and they're looking at how often somebody's picking up their prescriptions for their maintenance drugs and what will happen is if somebody's not adherent to their drug the pharmacy gets dinged what do you mean by dinged dinged like financially they pull funds back or don't pay or or? they they pull back reimbursements that they've paid on those prescriptions wow and if you look at any other industry it's, it's kind of astounding that this practice has been allowed to take place, but it does. And we see it all the time. And so, go ahead. Well, what, what would they have you do? I mean, it's not, I mean, do you see what I'm saying? Right. Like, I mean, it's their responsibility as, as a person right. to come in and fill that. And for whatever the reason, yeah, of course you're providing it, but it's not your, your responsibility to make sure that they're in there doing it. I mean, yeah, of course you want them to. Mm-hmm. And you have incentive financially and you care. I mean, right. you want them. So, but I mean, I don't, yeah, that's pretty astounding to it's, me. It's nuts. And so what we've seen over the last 10, 12, 14 years, as these laws have kind of taken hold of the market, um, some of our, our listeners who've had Medicare Part D over that course of time may find that people are calling them and asking them why they're not taking their meds. 
hey, Mrs. Jones, I see that um, it's been a while since you filled your levothyroxine. Is something wrong? Is it affecting you poorly? Is there something I can do? Um, do you want to put it on autofill? Uh, and so a lot of times pharmacies will kind of hire medication therapy management consultants to make these calls, to check in, to say, you know, is something going on? I see it's been a while. And so sometimes I'll, I'll hear people come in confused, like, hey, what's going on? Some pharmacist, I don't know, just called me and asked me why I'm not taking my prescriptions. And so this is, this is a direct result of some of those laws that have taken place that have allowed the plans to claw back their reimbursements. And another, another program that's really kind of taken the market by storm is MedSync. And so I would say there's probably a fair amount of people who have been asked by their pharmacy if they would like to enroll in MedSync. And what MedSync is, is a program that synchronizes your medications so that you can get them on the same day every month. And what this does is reduce trips to the pharmacy and theoretically improves adherence so that it's more consistent, it's more convenient for you to pick up and take your medications. Okay. And so um, generally under these programs, these prescriptions are filled automatically every month, every three months. And I've found that it's, it's, a, it's a pretty good way to help um, pharmacies financially, obviously, by minimizing those fees. And it also helps people in that age demographic stay on top of their meds when it's not always easy to get out, to get around. Sure. So it's like a convenience and right. making sure they're getting them. So you're for that. Then. Right. And so um, if you're listening to this to this podcast and you've never heard of MedSync, and it sounds like something that would interest you, talk to your pharmacy because I'm sure that there's some, some sort of means in place that would allow them to, to do that for you. Um, another question I get pretty frequently is, why can't I get my prescriptions filled here? I know this drug's covered. And again, this is, this is oftentimes frustration that's directed at me as if I'm withholding medications. And a lot of times that's not always the case because these organizations, these corporations that manage these plans are enormous. They're among the top 20 sized corporations in America. They're huge. And they also, uh, in a lot of cases, they own insurance plans, mm-hmm. and they own pharmacies. And so obviously, if you're managing a drug plan and you own a pharmacy, it's in your best interest to incentivize your enrollees to get their prescriptions filled at your pharmacy. Oh. And so what that means is now we've got all of these um, Medicare patients who get their plans from an organization that owns a pharmacy, and they'll just mail them to you. Instead of the convenience of being rural, where right. so there, there's stuff you guys can't even get then. Right. And so I, I see that all the time. I'll go to run a claim, and uh, um, what oftentimes what they'll do, they'll allow the first fill of a new prescription at a brick-and-mortar pharmacy, but then all the refills have to come from mail order, or else you can't get that prescription. Mm-hmm. Or if you want a 90-day supply... You can get it through your insurance plan, but you've got to go through the mail order pharmacy. Or if you want lower copays, we'll give you lower copays, but you're going to have to get it at the mail order pharmacy. And so that's a practice known as patient steering, and I, I see it pretty frequently, despite the fact that I'm the only pharmacy for 30 miles. Right. I've got I've got people all the time that come in and say, "Hey, my prescriptions are lost in transit. They were mailed seven days ago. 
help me out. Help me out. Can't. I don't have it. <laughs> it's it's a trip, um, and it's. Well, how, how do you change that? I mean, who who sets policy for that, and who sets policy for the uh, the clawback? Well, I think what it's going to come down to is the Federal Trade Commission coming down and say that these these organizations are are in violation of a gross number of um, anti-competitive practices. Mm-hmm. Uh, and well, and it's not just like it's a, a monopoly, right? Like or collusion between the the drug and the uh, manufacturer and the pharmacy, because in business that would be one thing, right. right? But I mean, this is like people's health, right? And what we see is this vertical integration of pharmacy benefit managers, insurance companies, and pharmacies that are all tied under the same parent entity. And so, if you're CVS, Caremark, and you own the biggest chain of pharmacies in the nation. It's pretty easy to say you can go get your prescriptions filled at, you know, whatever corner independent pharmacy you want, but it's going to be cheaper at CVS Pharmacy. If you want yeah. it mailed to you, we'll mail it to you, and it's going to be it's going to again. Be though, if you're rural, there are different considerations exactly. that get overlooked. Exactly. So. And so, um, the best I can say until until legislation changes on that part, or until some of these governing agencies come in and say that these practices are not only unfair, but they're detrimental to patient care and American health care in general. Um, when we're choosing plans, read the fine print and make sure that you're in contact with the plan and they're telling you that you can get your prescriptions filled mm. at a brick and mortar pharmacy. They're not going to force you into mail order and pay attention to the, to any changes that may take place over the year because it might be, that next year when open enrollment comes back around, it's it's time to make some changes so that you have some choice, some say in your health care. Yeah. Definitely. Well, I mean, that's very enlightening. So helping understand a bunch of things that I didn't <laughs> even know, you know, existed or issues that you're bringing light on that I didn't even know existed. Yeah. And these are, I mean, since in the last 10, 15 years, we've seen record numbers of rural pharmacies and independent pharmacies across the nation just closing their doors. And it's it's scary. It's scary for pharmacists, of course. It's it's scary for patients because what happens is we end up in these pharmacy deserts, is what mm-hmm. they call them, where you've got, you know, a 60-mile, 100-mile, 200-mile gap of land where we've got a sizable number of people but no pharmacies because these pharmacies are being forced to close their doors because of some of these practices. Mm-hmm. And so that's, um, I think that's pretty devastating to a population of people who have for 50, 70 years looked at their pharmacy as their front line of healthcare. Yeah, absolutely. And knowing that they could go down there and get what they needed. So, right. yeah. In a lot of, in a lot of these communities, there's, there are no doctor's offices, but there are pharmacies. And so in those cases, the pharmacist becomes pharmacist, provider, yeah, consultant. Sure. No, I know what you're getting at, yeah. So um, that really concludes my Medicare presentation. Well, no, that's awesome. I mean, uh, thanks again for coming in here and doing this. Of course. And, you know, coming in, I didn't know what to expect, and I would just tell you I learned a lot. And I think anyone listening is probably going to have, you know, they will have learned a lot. Not You know, at least they understand, right? right? It's like you, you might not agree, Right. But you, <laughs> but you're seeing like why it is and hopefully it'll help if this message spreads a little bit, it won't just help here, but maybe other rural areas where people just get a basic understanding of how 
deductibles work, how those four phases work, what you guys as pharmacists are up against. So, and uh, we'll put this on, you know, on our uh, Facebook page and we'll get it out there. And uh, I think I'll probably have your information. So if people have questions, you know, they could reach out, you know, and uh, we'll direct them to the right resource to get answers. For sure. And I, I really want people to know every time, every time you find yourself frustrated in the pharmacy, I can, I can about guarantee you that whoever you're looking at across the counter shares in that frustration right there with you. Yep. Yeah. Well said. All right. Well, thanks, Riley. I appreciate you coming in. Of course. Okay.